Fail Films 101 is not an actual college course and cannot be taken for college credit. It is not affiliated with any university, community college, junior college, vocational training program, or for-profit corporation masquerading as a school of any kind. Professor Jay has no formal training as an educator and, in fact, went to a Missouri State College for about two semesters, ran out of money, and dropped out as a result. And now that I've covered my own ass legally, let's get on with Fail Films 101. Hello class, and welcome to Fail Films 101, a pod class about the shittiest movies humankind has to offer and why we love them. I'm your instructor, Professor Jay, and class is in session. Welp, we are between units right now, and y'all know what that means. It is time for a class suggestion. And with me today, with his suggestion, is my friend Dan, who you may remember from our last episode, A Talking Cat. Say hi, Dan. Hello! And Dan has suggested 2006's The Wicker Man, which is a movie he knows much more about than I do. I just watched it for the first time today, and the entire time I was going, what the fuck? (laughs) So, it's a good one for that. Yes, it was pretty much the definition of what the fuck in terms of movies. And we couldn't find a whole lot when when it came to the production. But Dan did find a fair amount of trivia, which is what we tend to do when we don't find a whole lot about the production. So, Dan, would you like to share that with the class? Oh, gosh. There's a a few fun little nuggets that I found on IMDb. Like, in a uh, stunning turn of events, Nick Cage tried to defend it from, you know, people saying that it was terrible and unintentionally funny by saying, no, no, we meant for this to be funny. It's a a black comedy. That Mm -hmm. might sound a touch familiar. Yes, for those of you who are familiar with the uh, with the room, which we have discussed many times, both in its own episode and kind of bringing it up throughout the podcast, you may remember that Tommy Wiseau has done something very similar with his masterpiece. Yes, the tried and true excuse for when people laugh at your shitty movie. Mm-hmm. No, oh, I, I meant to do this. I meant to do that. It's the cat excuse. Mm-hmm. Exactly. When a cat is less than graceful and they they just look at you like, oh, I meant to do that. I, I totally. I, I, what are you looking at? I totally meant to do that. Exactly. Yeah. I, I did discover today that uh, this one was not screened for critics, which I'm somehow not terribly surprised by, all things considered. Yeah. Yeah, this seems like uh, something that critics would have had a thing or 12 to say about. Yeah, well, especially given that the original is, like, so, so beloved. Just, I I don't think the uh, community would have received this particularly well if they had been allowed to screen it. Yes, I I think you're right about that. I feel like both... The original and the, and the remake are kind of cult classics, but for opposite reasons. <laughs> yes! The original, for one thing, is very good. Like, it's like the quintessential psychological thriller, yeah. basically. It's been called the Citizen Kane of horror movies. If that gives you any indication of how well-loved it is. Oh, yes. Yes, definitely. And then <laughs> this one was a steaming pile of garbage. <laughs> and my wife was actually home while I was watching this, and all she could hear throughout, she was like in our room kind of loving on the loving on the animals. 
And all she could basically hear of this movie was really weird shit and Nicolas Cage yelling. <laughs> what what more do you need, really? Like, that's basically all the, there is to the movie is weird shit and Nick Cage yelling. Exactly. And we were kind of talking about how that is basically his version of expressing emotion is yelling. <laughs> his voice remains completely deadpan. It just gets louder. Yeah, you're not wrong. That's basically it. That's just the whole, yep. that's Nick Cage. Yep. God bless the man. What would we do without him? <sighs> Honestly, I just want to do a whole unit about Nick's, Nick Cage on the next syllabus. Oh God, that sounds amazing. Just cover the Ghost Rider movies, uh, National Treasure, Con Air. Yes. I still haven't gotten around to seeing the Nick Cage Left Behind, which I feel like I, I need to at some point. Oh yeah, I haven't seen it either, but I definitely, I've heard bad things, yes. so that will probably also be covered in the Nick Cage unit. Good. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm excited. It's going to be delightful. Do you have any more trivia for us, or shall we delve right into the plot? Oh, let's see. Apparently, and I didn't realize this, and admittedly, it's been a hot minute since I saw the original, and I think I watched this version like last month. But a bunch of the dialogue is just word for word the same as the original, just lifted from completely different contexts. Ah. At some point, I need to just watch them back to back to make a comparison, apparently. What would be interesting if, like, would be like if you were watching them on, like, separate screens or even on the same screen, but, like, <laughs> if you're, like, Chromecasting it from your desktop mm. and just play them simultaneously. I feel like I would get incredibly confused incredibly quickly. Yeah, you. I think everybody would, in all honesty. <laughs> I think that would just be a great way to confuse the masses in general. Yeah, like, on, the, on one screen you just have this, like, horror semi-musical, and then on the other you just have Nick Cage yelling in a total deadpan. Yes. Perfect. God, I cannot wait to get into, like... The specific things that Nick Cage yells about. Oh, it's so good. <sighs> oh, goodness. Was there anything else? Mm, let's see. Kind of slightly fun thing is that uh, they took the, the, the name of the star of the original and kind of like, they, they split his name up between a couple of different characters. So Edward, the name of Nick Cage's character, and then uh, Rowan Woodward, the name of the woman that he is, is involved with, they they took the name of the actor Edward Woodward, which I thought was kind of fun. Nice. Yeah, that's kind of a nice little tribute, but that also... is delightful. <laughs> I do actually have one more fact that I forgot. I was I was uh, intri intrigued and annoyed by. Ooh. Uh, so the the original in the original Wicker Man, the island that it all takes place on is called Summer Isle, mm -hmm. and the producers decided to change the name to Summer's Isle because they thought it would be quote easier for Americans to pronounce. Now it's... you and I are both Americans. Yes. So I, I'm going to say personally, I do not find Summer's Isle to be easier to pronounce than Summer Isle. I don't think that's easier to pronounce either. It's basically the same. Like, if anything, I actually find it a little bit harder because it's just like you 
just it sounds clumsier yeah my, my tongue trips on that on the summers yes so i'm just i, I mm. admittedly our sample size is small which means our science is bad but if we write it down then that makes it better yes so. exactly <laughs> maybe record will audio recording be as effective as writing it down or does it have to be written down um well, I guess we still have a log of it, so it, it counts for the science. Yes. <laughs> All right. Plot time? Plot time. All right. So the movie opens up in a diner with a waitress talking to a cop. Another cop, Nick Cage, is is basically perusing like the gift shop, and the waitress is kind of giving him shit for like not focusing or paying attention or whatever to the conversation. I don't know. Then later on... Nick Cage is on his motorcycle, and we basically go through a montage of him doing cop things to really drive home the point that he is indeed a cop. We see him pull somebody over, put one of those stickers on a car that's been abandoned by the side of the road, things like that. We got. We have to remember that he is a cop. Very important. We cannot possibly forget this. Yes. And later, he is driving down the road on his motorcycle, because he's a motorcycle cop. How cool is that? And the car in front of him uh, drops a doll out of the window. He picks it up as he is driving, and then pulls the car over, and the mom is like, I'm so sorry, we're in the middle of moving, it's blah blah blah, I under it's stressful or whatever, and then the little girl's like, did you get my doll? It's just, the little girl's kind of creepy, I'm not gonna lie. A little bit, yeah. And he gives the doll back to her. He's like, it's a little dinged up, but, you know, it's I, I do have it. And the mom's like, I'm so sorry. She's been kind of acting out with the whole moving. And he, then he starts kind of giving her a lecture about the importance of not throwing things about out the window to keep everybody safe. And then he, she yeets it out the window again. <laughs> like, full-on yeets it. <laughs> like, all the way across the street, basically. Got a and hell of an arm on her. I know, it's very impressive. And then she goes to, he goes to pick up the doll for her again. And as he's turning around, a, um, a truck, like, full on, like, head on collides into this car. Which, that must have been, like, a really, like, a really drunk or sleepy truck driver. Because they were, like, completely pulled over onto the other side of the road. Unless he, unless the truck driver was swerving to get out of Nick Cage's way, in retrospect. Or he just really hates sedans covered in furniture. True, that's also very possible. <laughs> but the car catches fire, and Nick Cage attempts to um, get the little girl out of it. We don't see the mom anywhere, but we see the little girl, and she's just kind of creepily staring at him. And he, like, takes off his helmet and uses it to break the window, and he tries to pull her out of the car. But the car then explodes. As all cars do. Mm-hmm. That's how it goes. Mythbusters had a lot to say about that. <laughs> Actually, I think that was just when they were shooting the uh, gas tank. Oh, uh... I don't know how accurate car explosions are in general when it comes to head-on collisions i feel like a head-on collision is not going to make it blow up especially not head-on collision is probably not even going to make it catch fire yeah exactly 
So I don't, um, I don't know where the uh, science from that came from, but <laughs> it's definitely something. And of course, you know, later on, he um, he is taking some time off of work to kind of cope with everything, understandably so. And, you know, he's on his couch watching a movie in his sweats. It's, like, blatantly obvious that he's depressed because that's all anybody is when they're watching a movie on their couch in their sweats when it comes to the movies. Like, if they're on the couch and they're wearing sweats, they must be depressed. I I only ever wear sweatpants when I'm in a deep depression. That's, like, I, I, I get into a rash if I try and put on sweatpants while I'm happy. Same. Yes, if you tr- if you try and wear sweatpants while you're happy, you develop like an allergic reaction. Yeah, it's pretty terrible, honestly. Like, mm-hmm. I've got it's all science. these sweatpants. I've got all these sweatpants that I can't wear because I'm too happy. I know it's a struggle. <laughs> like, I-, I want to be comfortable, but I'm too happy to be comfortable. <laughs> the struggle is real. It's very real. Like, I just have to like turn on a sad movie if I want to wear sweatpants. <laughs> So his lady cop friend stops in to, you know, check on him, congratulate him on a commendation that he got for, I guess, attempting to save these people's lives, and basically just doing a wellness check on him. Apparently, we find out, the bodies of those two people were never found, and the car wasn't even registered. (gasps) Dum-dum-dum. And then he receives a letter from his ex doesn't have a stamp on it by the way it's just a letter from his ex it turns out her daughter has been missing for about two weeks and she has uh returned she lives on an island that she was originally from to begin with and no one on the island is helping her look for her daughter so she's like asking him to help basically so he brings that letter to the police station where he works and Basically, what happens is the police chief is kind of pissed off. Like, why is your ex contacting you now after all this time? And he's like, I don't even know, but, like, her kid is missing. I I have to help. I mean, it's the right thing to do, even if I can't stand her when she was engaged and she walked out on me. Which, I mean, I guess I understand. There's, like... It's sort of noble, but also, as I recall, it's completely out of his jurisdiction. Yes, it is, because this island is off the coast of Washington, and he lives in California. Yes, I, I couldn't quite remember if that was the, the exact uh, geographic setup there, but yeah. Yes, legally, he has no authority Yeah, over any of this. So, who fucking knows? <laughs> Now, like, out of nowhere, he's taking the ferry out to this island, and he sees a little girl on the ferry and has a vision of her getting hit by that truck. And he basically, she basically looks, like, just like the girl from the car from behind, and also kind of looks like uh, the daughter that we see in the picture. (gasps) They're both little blonde girls, doing what blonde girls do. (laughs) I'm a terrible person. 
Oh god, now I'm gonna have that stuck in my head for the rest of the night. We're just blonde boys doing what blonde, blonde boys do. Boys do. <laughs> <laughs> so he tries to call the the like police chief that he was talking to earlier to like fill him in on what's happening, but he has no cell service out there. And then he meets the pilot of a small plane, like one of those planes that like lands on the water with like the with like the runners on the bottom instead of the wheels. You know the one that I'm talking about. Like Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's the kind of plane that like launch pad launch pad McQuack flies. <laughs> I'm trying to remember like what the hell that's even called. That's a good question. Oh, it's literally just called a seaplane. Oh, a seaplane. Yeah. I learned something today. Hooray. <laughs> Alright, so he finds the pilot of the seaplane, and, and apparently this guy makes, like, daily deliveries out to this island. And he's like, so what'll it take for me, for you to give me a ride out to this island? And he's like, um, they're very private, and they're very adamant about not having anybody, like, come onto the island. So you're not coming with me, because they will not be thrilled with me if that happens. And he eventually, he has... His friend, Mr. Grant, and his twin brother, Ulysses, help him out. <laughs> I.e., he gave him $200 bills. Oh, God. To bribe him, to take him to this island, and it works. So then he flies onto this island, and upon arrival, he's approached by three women. And they tell him he's basically not allowed on the island without the, permit, without the permission of... Sister Summer Summer's Isle. Not Summer Isle, Summer's Isle. Yes. Very important that we make that distinction for the Americans. Mm-hmm. Did they think they were doing like some Harry Potter sorcerer stone philosopher stone shit with that? Probably. <laughs> Gotta love it. But they tell him he's not allowed on the island without her permission. And he's uh, explaining that he's a cop and he was in he was invited by a resident to investigate a missing child. And they're like, oh, we're going to have to have a talk with this resident. How did you get here? Was it the pilot? We'll have to have a talk with him too. And while this conversation is happening, they're approached by two men with a burlap sack that is wiggling a lot. And it's also kind of bloodied up. Oh, yeah. And (laughs) yeah, that was a thing that happened. And he's like, what's in the bag? A shark or something? <laughs> no one says anything about that. They, they just let Nick Cage sit and stew in the fact that he made a very unfunny joke. Yeah, that is accurate. <laughs> <laughs> and then he shows them a picture of the girl and they're all like, oh, we don't recognize her. And then he's like, His mo- her mother's name is Willow. And they're like, oh, we know Willow. She's a bit of a free spirit. And, yeah, they don't talk very kindly about Willow. And then he says, your bag is dripping to the people holding the bag, and it's kind of dripping blood. And one of the women is like, go on, take a peek. And he goes to open the bag, and something in the bag, like, jumps out at him. And the women kind of laugh, and he walks away, and they yell, that's not her daughter, though. (laughs) And then he makes it to, like, the one and only inn on this island. And the he asks the barmaiden 
for like a room or whatever and she's like oh are you that officer from california and he's like yes and then willow shows up and they kind of share a glance like oh shit it's you like um you can tell that the romance is about to swell oh shit it's you not like oh fuck it's this person you know what i mean <laughs> oh yeah the the chemistry is so strong Mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah, Nick Cage is great at uh, having chemistry with other people in scenes. <laughs> it's his forte. Oh, yeah. Look, Nick Cage is of of a race of beings that we do not yet understand, and it's hard for him to establish chemistry with Earth humans. So basically, he's Tommy Wiseau. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I wonder if they're from the same planet. I would assume so. It would explain a lot. I know, right? Like why they're both so obsessed with New Orleans. <laughs> we need to we need to find out if Nick Cage also hates the French language. That's entirely possible. <laughs> For those of you who haven't read The Disaster Artist by Greg Sestero yet, I highly recommend it. I'm pretty sure I mentioned that in the first episode, but go listen go read or listen to the audiobook of The Disaster Artist. The audiobook is, a, is an experience in itself, honestly. Oh? Oh, yeah, because it's read by Greg Sestero. Oh, excellent. So, so he does an amazing impression of Tommy when he's reading. Oh, God. It's so good. I need to hunt this down now. Yes, it's it's on Audible, so if you, listen, if you have Audible, I definitely recommend it. All right. But anyway, so a- after the barmaid gives gives nick cage i I don't even call him his character's name he's nick cage i even put i even put nc in the note for nick cage (laughs) so he has a drink of mead and afterwards he turns to everybody in the bar and he's like i'm here on official police business and i'm gonna want to talk to every one of you at some point and the barmaid's like but this is washington you're a California cop. And he's like, look, a child is missing, basically. That's kind of what he does. He's like, I forget what exactly he says. Hold on, I wrote it down. It, it is anything but fine when a person is lost, especially a child. <laughs> a very natural piece of dialogue. Mm-hmm. Just 10 out of 10, give, give everyone an Oscar. Yes, if anyone deserves an Oscar, it's Nick Cage. Oh, yeah. But then a bee kind of flies past him, and he swats it and kills it. And everyone just stops and freezes, like he just committed a murder right in front of all of them. And the barmaiden, who we find out is named Sister Beach, looks at him and goes, Now, why would you do a thing like that? And he goes, Sorry, I'm allergic. (laughs) That's my Nick Cage impression. I cried. I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. (laughs) Now I can't wait to do a National Treasure episode. Oh, man. That's going to be fun. I'm I'm excited. So as Willow is, like, leaving the bar, she kind of passes him a note saying that they're being being watched, not to trust what he sees or hears, and asks to speak to him in private in about an hour. So they meet up later in the woods. 
And he's like, you know, traditionally, the guy gets his ring back when his fiance runs away. And she goes, I still wear it, sort of. And he asks what happened to her, and he, she goes, why do we do anything in this life? Yep. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Do you understand life? Do you? Do you? <laughs> I feel like anyone who listens to this podcast in general should just make a drinking game out of how many times we reference the room in an episode that we're not focusing on the room. (laughs) They'd probably be drunk by the end of each episode. Oh, Oh, yes. And he's like, I need some kind of answer. Was it some other guy? And she explains that she was scared and she wasn't ready for marriage. So she kind of ran back home. And she's like, I understand this place is unusual, but I really just want my daughter back. He asks why she's stirring everything up again after all this time and why she's not getting Rowan's father involved. The daughter's name is Rowan. And she goes, because you're the the only person I trust is you, even after all these years. And she knows her daughter's been taken, but she's unsure of who did it, and she warns him yet again not to trust anything that he sees or hears. And he says, I promise you, if she's here, I'll find her. And he's got questions for her later, but then a bell rings, and she has to go. They'll meet again later when it's safer for them to talk. And Nick Cage is in his room kind of unpacking his bag, and we see his B EpiPens, and it looks like he's missing something. And he uh, hears something going on downstairs. And it's a meeting of some of the women from earlier uh, speaking about something that's going to be happening soon about death and rebirth and the return of the Wicker Man. They, they act like the Wicker Man is like a person. Yep. But we'll talk about that later. Yes. And Nick Cage sees somebody else who works at the bar pass by him and he asks if someone's like gone through his bags because he's missing a tape called everything's okay which is one of the things that we saw him uh looking at in the gift shop earlier and she's like no nobody's like gone through your bags or seen that tape and then he's like it's called everything's okay and she just goes good and walks off like okay all chill Mm mm-hmm And then he starts having, like, dreams and flashbacks about the girl who was killed in the truck, and we kind of- she seems to look like Willow's daughter, Rowan. Just, again, because blonde girls doing what blonde girls do. (laughs) And then Nick Cage wakes up and takes some pills, and he looks outside the window and sees Rowan running away from something, and he also hears crying. So he jumps out of bed, puts on some not-pajama clothes, and goes running after her. And then he comes across a barn- which I assumed it was a barn because, you know, there's cows and shit around. And he enters the barn in search of Rowan. He sees movement on, like, the upper level of the barn, so he climbs up the ladder and continues the search. The closer he gets to, like, the door on the upper level, the more he hears the crying, but all he sees are some fat pigeons. And boy, are they fat-ass pigeons. Oh my god, they're so chonky. They are the chonkiest. And it's like, I didn't know pigeons could even get that fat outside of, like, good feathers on Animaniacs. Ah. Are I've, you talking to me? <laughs> I've, I've seen some pretty chonky-ass pigeons, but they don't tend to live in rural areas. Like, the, the chonkiest pigeons you see are generally, like, in very large cities. 
Oh, yeah, like the ones who are, like, fishing bread out of trash cans. Yeah, that fear neither God nor man. Mm-hmm. Or college campus pigeons. He finds Rowan's red sweater, but not her. And then he falls through the floor, but he manages to, like, hang on and climb back up. And then the next morning at breakfast, he's questioning why, like, they only have store-bought honey when the island is, like, covered in bees, and he thought that they made the honey there. Apparently, their honey crop was cursed last year. And then he finds a bunch of, a bunch of pictures in, of little girls in white dresses cor- surrounded by circles of flowers. And he asks what that's about. And Sister Beach is talking about how they're from each year's harvest festival. There's also a fertility festival each year, but it's so sacred that no pictures are allowed. Nick Cage would ha- asks what happened to the picture of this year's harvest festival, harvest festival. And Sister Beach says that it was ruined last night, broken or something. I even put or something in my notes. <laughs> and Nick Cage asks the other woman who works at the bar, or another woman, a different woman than what we saw last night, if she recognizes the little girl. And she doesn't, because he's got the picture of Rowan that he's showing to everybody, basically. And he asks, where's the other girl who works here? And she's like, oh, she's gone to school up the hill and through the woods. And then he asks that the woman he's already talking to what happens here tomorrow. And she's like, do you mean the day after tomorrow? Nothing's happening here the day after tomorrow. And then he's like, well, what's happening tomorrow again? And he's like, well, that's when you'll leave. And you'll take me with you? Question mark. And after that, he kind of heads in the direction of the school. He comes across a group of women heading in the opposite direction. He approaches the school, and the teacher is asking the girls what man symbolizes in his purest form. Oh, and, they, and they all respond in unison, phallic symbol, phallic symbol, phallic symbol. Like, what was the purpose of that scene? Well, uh, <laughs> most directly... A, a way of showcasing how the director feels about feminism. <laughs> so that's basically what like this whole movie is about when they kind of get more into how this is like a matriarchal society. Yeah. Was the original like that at all? No, not in the slightest. The whole like man versus woman thing is completely new to the remake. Oh. Yeah, the the original is more like it's more like the the detectives like really rigid Christianity versus the islands uh kind of vaguely yeah. murderous paganism. Ah. Yeah. But then for whatever reason when they did the remake they decided to just kind of attack feminism basically. Yeah, pretty much. For no reason. Just why not? Because it's 2006 and hating feminism is cool. God. I wish you would step back from that edge, my friend. <laughs> but he went, He goes and asks the teacher about like a missing girl that everyone's pretending doesn't exist. And she says it's very chaotic of him or quixotic or whatever because it's supposed to be like from Don Quixote. And basically she's saying it's frivolous. Yeah. And he asks to speak to Willow, but Willow's already gone. I guess Willow's a teacher there or something. I don't fucking know. And he asks the schoolgirls about Rowan's whereabout, about Rowan's whereabouts, and passes that picture around to all the girls in the class. 
And then he approaches the board and puts down her name, Willow Woodward, and asks if, he, if anyone recognizes the name or the picture. Nobody does. And then he sees an empty desk and asks whose it is. He opens the desk and a bird flies out, like a crow. And apparently they've trapped it in the desk to see how long the bird could stand it. And he was like, why would you let them do such a sick thing? Which is a valid question. But that's never, you know, brought up or commented upon again. It's just a thing that happened in this particular scene. Yep. There's a lot of moments like that. We never hear anything about the shark or something ever again. Like, we never know what that is. Yeah, there's a lot of things that are just brought up and dropped. (laughs) It's kind of amazing. Like, does that sound familiar, anybody? Hmm. I'm starting to wonder if this director was like, inspired by Tommy Wiseau at all. <laughs> I, I I don't know. Never Some never get- seen anything to that effect anywhere, but you, you never know. Maybe it was a secret admiration. That's entirely possible. Like, oh, this Tommy Wiseau guy is brilliant. I'm gonna, <laughs> going to incorporate a lot of his themes into my remake of this iconic horror movie. <laughs> Like, what? Now I kind of want to do that in complete seriousness. <laughs> Incorporate a lot of Tommy Wiseau themes into a horror movie. Like, oh, hi, serial killer! <laughs> I did not stab her. It's not true. I didn't. It's bullshit. I did not. <laughs> Maybe we should talk to Tommy Wiseau and David Dicato about teaming up for a horror porn movie or something. Oh my god, yes. That sounds wonderful. A horn movie or porror. Porror. <laughs> Just making a whole new genre here. Perfect. But anyway, he asks for the attendance record of the class and the teacher says that he needs the permission of Sister Summer's Isle to see the attendance record. And he doesn't listen, and he goes and finds the attendance record anyway, and he sees Rowan's name crossed out on the list. He looks at the kids and calls them all little liars. God. Yup. And then he threatens to arrest the teacher, whose name is Sister Rose, if she lies again. And when she does say her name, he's like, of course, another plant! which of course we have to like point out the themes instead of just letting the audience pick up on them on their own oh yeah because that would just be too easy oh yeah we can't trust the audience to have a brain right that would be unthinkable that's like talking to an english class that's reading romeo and juliet well, probably not Romeo and Juliet, but like something with like blatantly obvious symbolism to it, and then being like, "And this represents da 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 da." Like we know, we know how to read subtext. We learned that in third grade. Like, good job. Th- thank you for that, uh, sc- screenwriter or director, whoever decided to make that call. Oddly, uh, the director. Uh, and the screenplay were the same person, so yeah, thanks, Neil uh, Yes. 
right. So both, technically. Yes. Cool. So, mm-hmm. So Sister Rose and Nick Cage go outside to talk while the girls continue their schoolwork. And Sister Rose says she doesn't understand what's going on. Or that, oh no, that he doesn't understand what's going on. Sorry. And then she says, if she existed, we would know of her. She then explains that Willow is not lying, but grieving. He asks if she's dead. And she's like, we don't use that word because when somebody does cease to live, their soul lives on in everything, in the breeze, in the in like the plants in the air i already said breeze that's the same thing um <laughs> the air the you know what I mean. more moving air yes <laughs> but anyway the soul lives on in everything after they die and he asks like what happened to her and she says it was an accident but refuses to elaborate further and he's like where's her body she's like it's in the earth and he's like is it in a churchyard and she's like yeah sure whatever and as she heads back into the classroom, Nick asks how Rowan died, and Rose says, she burned to death. And he's like, what? And she says, "He she burned to death. Like, I don't know why this needed to be repeated, but... Oh, uh, the, the first time she says it is, she'll burn to death? Like, it's going to happen? Oh, I missed that. Yeah. And Nick Cage is just like, what? 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 And then she, you know, quickly, very smoothly corrects herself. Ah, yeah. that makes much more sense. Yeah. I was very like, I was like, why did this need repeating? But I am also, fun fact for the listeners who don't know me in real life, I'm partially deaf in one ear. So, so when I watch these movies, when I can find them with captions, I watch them with captions. But I could not find... I could not find the Wicker Man with captions, so I watched it without. Oh. <laughs> and I just dealt with it. But anyway, so he sees, he starts heading back towards, like, the main town, and he sees a woman, like, working in the fields near the church. Or, no, he asks her where the church is, and she gives him directions, and he's like, wait, aren't you Sister Rose? Didn't I just talk to you? And she's like, no, you didn't. But she looks identical to Sister Rose. But that's never commented upon or explained or brought up again. Of course not. So we don't know if it was actually Sister Rose or if it was like a twin sister. It is a mystery. <laughs> For those who have not listened, who have not watched A Talking Cat yet after watching, after listening to our episode... That's the music from A Talking Cat, and please go watch A Talking Cat! <laughs> please just watch it! <laughs> it's so good! It's so good. But anyway, he approached the churchyard, a fresh grave is there, and Willow's like, that's not Rowan's grave, she's not in there. And she says that they put it there. He's like, who's they? And she's like, whoever's doing this. And then she um, directs Nick Cage to some ruins with an old crypt, and on the old crypt is a brand new lock. <gasps> dum dum dum. Dun dun. I feel like basically every sentence of the synopsis could be concluded with dun dun dun. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and she's continuing to insist that Rowan is alive, and he's like, that's not what I've been hearing. 
and she's calling everybody liars and they're all talking about how they're all going to hurt Rowan and he wants to understand why and basically she's like oh sister Summer Isle wasn't fond of my wild ways and how I have how I've left the island before and blah 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 and Sister Summer Isle is, uh, the way she describes Sister Summer Isle is basically like the spirit of the whole island and how she's in everything. And lo- just like when somebody dies on the island. So, except she seems like she's more able to control these things. So, I don't even fucking know because later on we meet Sister Summer Isle. So, yeah. So, she's like, Asking him for forgiveness for some reason, but she doesn't know why she's asking him for forgiveness. And then she's like, I just want to know that our daughter is okay. And he's like, whoa, wait, our daughter? What the fuck? Dun dun! And he's like, wait, am I Rowan's father? And she's like, yeah, you are. Which is so surprising. Just hang on, I need to, I, I need to go pick my jaw up off the floor really quickly. Right? Because we were all just completely shocked by this realization. Oh, yeah. So surprised. And he's completely taken aback, and he's like, that's not right. Why didn't you tell me before? And she's like, I don't know, which seems to be a common theme throughout the movie, is that (laughs) Willow doesn't know why she does the things she does. (laughs) Willow just doesn't know things. Yeah. That's accurate. So she's showing him Rowan's room, which is where she last saw her. And apparently last time she saw her, she was sitting at the desk drawing, and apparently Rowan loves to draw and swim. I don't know why she brought up the swimming. <laughs> and Willow had like just gone to the market for about 30 minutes or so and came back, and Rowan and all of her toys and books were gone. <gasps> dum dum dum. Dum dum. And she was last seen wearing her sweater that she's wearing in the picture. Apparently she doesn't have any other pictures of of Rowan. Only Dr. Moss has pictures of the people. And she's the village photographer, basically. And, of course, Nick Cage finds this uh, strange that, you know, the mother doesn't have more pictures of her child. And... Yeah, so he looks under her desk and finds, like, a bunch of drawings that say, like, help me and things like that, like, all over it. And he's like, was Rowan depressed? Like, look at this. And she's like, nope, she wasn't depressed. And the seaplane from before, like, flies in, and he's like, oh, I'm going to run to the plane and see if I can use their radio. Wait for me. So he gets there, and the pilot's not there, and he still doesn't have cell service. He waits for quite a while, and then he hears some weird noises. He finds Rowan under a grate in the dock, and when he can't pull the grate up, he dives underwater to uh, swim under the dock and retrieve her when the grate won't, won't open. And you know that scene in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire where they're going into the lake to like save their friends during like the second task or whatever? Mm-hmm. You know how like the people they're retrieving look? Mm-hmm. That's how Rowan looks. Dun, dun. But since there's no magic in this world, she's most likely definitely definitely dead. Yeah. But yes. But 
This is what I put in my notes. Ope, he was asleep. <laughs> Ope. Ope, but surprise, he has Rowan's body in his arms. <laughs> That's also verbatim what I put in the notes. <laughs> and one more. Ope, just kidding, he woke up again. <laughs> and he yells something like, God damn it! <laughs> it's so good. I know. Oh, good. Sometimes I feel like I should just publish my notes on the Google Classroom for people to read. That would be that would be amazing. I think I'm probably going to start doing that with the next episode so people don't have to deal with my uh, handwriting in this one. <laughs> so that's when, when he wakes up, he kind of like starts taking off the majority of his clothes, except for his underwear and his t-shirt for some reason. And he yeah. jumps into the ocean and swims to the plane to use the radio. Why is he swimming in his shirt? Reasons? Who fucking knows? Nick Cage reasons. Yes, Nick Cage reasons. It was probably a personal choice. Yeah. But he gets to the plane and the radio wires are all fucked up. Dun dun. Yes. So then he goes to a little white house and we get to the door and it says Dr. T.H. Moss. I think that's what it said. Sounds right, yeah. So she opens the door and he flashes his badge, and I think she's actually played by one of the ladies from American Horror Story. Oh. Like the one who plays the maid, like the older version of the maid in Murder House. Huh. And then I think she's also in Coven, and she's like, Behold, our next Supreme! <laughs> that one. I think that's the same person. Because it sounds a lot like her, and they're both redheaded. Now, keep in mind, I am also coming back from a vacation weekend where I spent most of the most of the weekend drunk, so... <laughs> Who knows? It is a mystery. It is a mystery. So, but I did put in the notes, oh shit, that's one, that's one of the ladies from AHS. <laughs> <laughs> she apparently takes the Harvest Festival pictures every year, and she's like a third-generation photographer. Her mother did it for all the festivals, and her mother before her did it. And she still has the negatives of last year's picture, and she's going to print it off again for Nick Cage when she finds out it's broken. And as he's leaving the house, um, two hooded women, which we later find out, I guess, are like the beekeeper's helmets or whatever, but it looks like mysterious hoods. They meet up with Dr. Moss, and they follow her as she leaves her house. And after they leave, he just fucking breaks into her house. As you do. As you do. Because why not? He's a cop. He should know better that he should know that you need a warrant before you do that shit. But whatever. All cops are bees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Speaking of bees. <laughs> but we later, uh, he finds, an, when he breaks into her house, he finds a note about the fertility ritual where basically young women who are thought to be uh, representations of fertility are sacrificed, often by burning, while males are killed somehow bloodily, I guess. I don't fucking know. <laughs> this entire time I was like, I'm confused. And then he finds a bunch of fetuses in jars. As one does. Mm-hmm. That's never explained. Ever. 
Nope. Like he does he doesn't even like make a comment about it. It's just a thing that happened. It's, it's not a shark or something. Ergo, it's not worth remarking upon. But, yes, exactly. <laughs> Why would you ever talk about anything that isn't a shark or something? <sighs> I ask you. That's a great question. Yeah, why are we not talking about a shark or something? Probably because this isn't our Sharknado episode. Oh, shit, you're right. No, that was Unit 1. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just behind the time. Don't worry, I think next syllabus there's also going to be a unit about bad shark movies, so. Yes. We'll, prob- we'll probably bring up more of the Sharknado movies in that as well. As well as Mega Shark vs. Giant Octopus. <laughs> And various other bad movies involving sharks, potentially even Jaws 3D. Ooh. Mm-hmm. That one should be fun. Good shit. Mm-hmm. But, so he opens a drawer and he comes across more pictures from harvest festivals, including one of Rowan. All the pictures are labeled with the little girl's names, and Rowan's is also noted worst harvest on record. Dun-dun. Dun-dun. And he asks Willow, he meets up with Willow and he asks what all that was about. She's like, it's just a picture. And he's like, no, it's not just a picture. Why didn't you tell me that our daughter was involved in any of these rituals? Why was she blamed for the bad harvest? Blah, blah, blah. And then he asks her about what the day of death and rebirth is. And she's like, oh, it's just a story. And then he promises to find Rowan and they kiss. And the kissing wasn't out of place at all, was it? Not in the slightest. Again, Nick Cage has wonderful chemistry with human people. Mm-hmm. He does an excellent job of pretending to be human. He really does. It's amazing. Like, like he had me fooled for the first, like, 20 or so years of my life. Yeah. It was, it was very impressive. Yeah. Unfortunately, but, it was not meant to last. We've, we've figured him out. Yes, we've, we've gotten to the bottom of his ruse. But as he, like, as another scene begins, he approaches some men who are loading up a horse-drawn cart with logs, and he offers to help them. But he fucks that up. Like, he spills, like, the logs everywhere and knocks the guy over. And he's like, are you okay? And the guy doesn't respond. And he's like, what's the matter? Can't you talk? And the guy doesn't respond, and he walks away. Yup. Yup. <laughs> that was the scene that happened. And then we okay. see... <laughs> Then we see some more men with a shit ton of branches on their backs climbing up the hill as Nick Cage starts leaving away. He's riding his bike down the road and he winds up in a field by a stone fence and turns out that's where a bunch of the beehives are. He knocks one of the beehives over. <sighs> not great when you're allergic to bees. No, not a, not a smart move. No. And the bees go after him, so he starts running away. I think he knock I think he even knocks another beehive over, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think so. And he keeps running. And then he rolls out down the hill and goes into anaphylaxis. He sees Rowan right before passing out and having another uh another nightmare about the girl in the car. Suddenly the car is filled with bees. Why? Sure. Who knows? <laughs> And then he wakes up in the home of Sister Summer's Isle, and Dr. Moss is attending to him. And he's like, oh, did you use my kit with the adrenaline shot? And she's just like, oh, we healed you in the old way. <laughs> we never find out what the old way is, by the way. Uh, 
Leeches? Thoughts Maybe. and prayers? <laughs> Maybe a combination of the two. Yeah. Thoughts and prayers with leeches. Ooh, thoughts and leeches. The hit new medical trend. Fair enough. But anyway. Yes. <laughs> and, and then he's like, oh, I'm actually here to see Dr. Summer's Isle. Which I don't think you are. I don't even think that you knew that this was, this was Dr. Summer's Isle's house. Up until now. Yeah. I don't, I don't think so, no. <sighs> Who fucking knows? It is a mystery. Mm-hmm. But Dr. Moss is like, oh, she's been expecting you. And then she walks away. And he gets up and loads his gun. And he sees two young women in white descending the stairs. After he loads his gun and puts it in his pocket or his holster or whatever, I didn't see which. I didn't even see a holster on him for that matter. But he goes outside and he finds those young women standing beside an older woman. Also, also while this is going on, we hear bees in the background. And she's like, oh, the older one's like, oh, the bees nearly did you in. Pity. <laughs> and he's like, pity that they didn't or pity that they did? And she doesn't answer him. She's like, my keepers found you passed out in the field. It takes quite a few of them to keep order around here. And then she talks about how she sees what she sees in him. A bit of rough potential. Doesn't even say Willow's name. Just like, I see what she sees in you. <laughs> And then he asks for her permission to exhume Rowan's body and perform an autopsy. And he's talking about how she doesn't seem very concerned about what's happened. And she's like, I'm confident that you're wrong. We don't murder here. Because mm -hmm. apparently all of these sacrifices are sacrifices to the goddess. And Sister Summer's Isle is just the earthly, represent earthly representative of the goddess, basically. She talks about how their ancestors originally settled in Salem, and after the witch trials, they migrated to the island and vowed never to go back into the mainland again. She's like, there are those who leave, but they always come back. And he's like, are men second-class citizens around here? And she's like, no, we love our men. We're just not subservient to them. And she's like, they're very important for breeding. <sighs> what noise was that? That was the noise of just this movie's, like, take on just gender is just, it's so bad. I mean, if you think about it, that's how a lot of countries view women. Oh, yeah. I'm just saying that, like, the way that, like, that this movie, like, thinks that feminists think. <laughs> See, this director is just scared that women wanting equal, equal rights means that women want to treat men the way that men currently treat women. Yeah. They're gonna hunt me for sport? <laughs> yes! <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> so, out of nowhere, he's like, it sounds like inbreeding. And she's like, don't judge us. And he's like, and she talks about how, you know, when they breed, they, you know, keep like the strongest of them and he's like you mean females what happens if they happen to have a boy and sister summersile just goes it depends <laughs> and he's like i don't get you or this place and then he tells her to stop bullshitting her or she'll be arrested and then he again asks for permission to exhume the body and she's like i assumed i'd already granted it to you 
So he rides his bike to the gravesite and unearths the casket where he finds a burned doll. Dun dun dun. dun, dun. <laughs> and then he hears crying, assuming that it's Rowan, and he waltzes into those ruins from earlier. And in the notes, I even put, bad idea, my guy. <laughs> and he approaches the um, the thing from earlier. I can't remember what it was called. Oh, I put it was a crypt in the... Um... Ah. But anyway, the lock is undone. So he opens up the crypt, and there's some stairs. He descends the stairs, and he's... He finds, I guess, like a well or something with Rowan's sweater in it. And he just jumps right in. And I put in my notes, homeboy needs to stop swimming in full clothes. <laughs> While he's down there swimming, he finds a statue of Jesus covered in moss. And then he like finds a grate, pulls himself up and starts screaming for help like a lot. It sounds like he's basically screaming all night. He finds some more, he has some more nightmares about the burning car and the little girl. And then he has a nightmare about his lady cop friend who came to visit him at his home. And she explodes into a bunch of bees. As one does. Mm-hmm. And Willow finds him and undoes the trap door that the Great is apparently a part of to set him free. And he shows her the sweater and she's, and he's like, Someone's keeping Rowan down there. She's alive, but someone's keeping her down here. And then he shows her the doll. And... <laughs> you know exactly why I'm laughing, don't you? Oh, yes. He, he just goes, How did this get burned? How did this get burned? Over and over again. Well, he starts out somewhat calm. He's just like, How did it get burned? And then it just amps up and it's just oh it's so oh it's magnificent i'm gonna see if i can find a vid a, a, like a youtube clip of that particular scene oh i'm it, sure that there's tons of them because i know when you search the wicker man on youtube all you find is not the bees which we will get into but oh yes even though i'm not gonna say anything else we're just gonna get we'll, we'll get to not the bees in a little bit Yes, I have but, found a link for you. I will I'll drop it for you. Thank you. But he basically orders her, or like, out of nowhere, he just gets this weird look on his face, and she's like, why are you looking at me like that? And he's like, something bad is about to happen. I can feel it. And then he tells her to go back to the house and lock the doors. And then he runs to Sister Summer's Isle's house and pounds on the door. And then he gets in, he finds a man in her, in like, in the bed that he was in earlier. And he's covered in bee stings with one eye swollen shut, and he's got his shirt off. As one does. Mm-hmm. I don't even fucking know. <laughs> and then he opens another door and sees a smiling woman who is covered in bees? Aren't we all just a smiling person covered in bees on the inside? I mean, that would explain a lot. <laughs> but that's another thing that's never commented on or explained, along with the shirtless beasting man. Why, why bother explaining everything? You have Nicolas Cage. What more could you want? Yeah, that's true. 
And then he's running through the house yelling, Summer's Isle! Summer's Isle! And we just see Sister Summer's Isle in a bed in all white with her hair down. And then someone is like in her room looking outside her window. And then she she just says, he's gone. And Sister Summer's Isle says, excellent. And then he runs into Sister Rose in the road and she's wearing like a weird bird mask. And she's apparently preparing for the day of death and rebirth, and they're celebrating or whatever. And he's like, I'm not going to let her die. And she just says, how gallant, Sir Knight. And he steals her bike at gunpoint. (laughs) And takes it to the inn, which is full of men. And he asks for their help, but none of them answer. And I put, that's where we'll leave it for now, because... I don't like to spoil the end of things. And also, from this point on, it was so confusing that I didn't know what the fuck was going on. Yeah, it gets, like, in a movie that, like, starts out fairly batshit, the last, like, 15, 20 minutes of it are just off the chain, as the kids say. Yes, like, it goes completely buck wild for these last 20 or so minutes. Yeah, like, I... I, I kind of want to, like, just randomly list things off with no context. Please do! Uh, Nick Cage wears a fursuit! <laughs> yes, he does! <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, I don't think we ever get context for that. Um, there, there kind of is. It, it, but everything is, is so actually- confusing that it's hard to, that it's easy to miss the context. Yeah, like there, there is actually a reason why he puts on the fursuit. It's just so outlandish to watch that you forget that there is a reason for it. Yes. That is accurate. Yeah. Do you have any other out-of-context things you'd like to share? Uh, I'm trying to think of... It's really hard to top Nick Cage in a bear fursuit. Yeah, um, that's true. That's very true. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, he goes around like pulling the masks off of children because they're all wearing oh, masks. Yep, yep. So they're all in their fun little procession. And he's just like, no, I'm just gonna try and find my child by just removing all of the costumes of these children. Because mm-hmm, that's not gonna traumatize them at all. No, not at all. Not in the slightest. Yeah. Oh yeah. So the not the bees thing for for starters. That scene wasn't even in the version of this film that I watched. Yeah, it got cut from the theatrical release because they were trying to keep it down to a PG-13, so they cut out uh, a chunk of the ending to make it less graphic. Which makes which sense. Is, yeah, which is just such a shame. The DVD copy that I, that I picked up a while ago also didn't have that, and I was just so heartbroken. Because it's just objectively the best scene in the whole movie. Exactly, it's the it's the most famous scene in the movie. Yeah. Like, anytime anyone I know thinks of the Wicker Man, they think of this particular scene. Yeah. And like in this particular scene, they are putting like a cage over his fi- over his head. Yep. And they just. Fill it with bees. Just pour bees on a man. Mm-hmm. And he's yelling, No! Not the bees! Not the bees! Stay! Or something like that. 
Ah, they're in my eyes! It's so good. It is something, to say the least. Oh, a a masterpiece. Yes. And I will post that video as well as the How'd It Get Burned video in the Google Classroom for everyone to enjoy. I will also most likely post the links in the episode description. But on that note, Dan, you're the expert. What makes this movie special? There, there are a lot of elements that just come together to, to make this movie so special. There's Nick Cage's cageness, obviously. True. Uh, I feel like this would not have been the same if it hadn't been for Nick Cage. Like, we almost got Liam Neeson as the lead. I don't think it would have been as charming, frankly. You're right. I don't think if, if Liam Neeson had been in this movie, it would have still been bad. Yes. Don't get me wrong, just because of the writing and the directing and a million other things. Yeah. But Liam Neeson trying versus Nick Cage trying are two different animals. Exactly. Like, don't get me wrong, Liam Neeson is a racist douchebag. Yeah. But he at least, I don't want to say he's talented because he's a racist douchebag. <laughs> and I don't like complimenting racist douchebags. He doesn't have the, like, he doesn't have the raw alien charm that Nick Cage has. Yes, that's true. Like, my wife and I were just talking about this, that Nick Cage just conveys emotion by making himself louder. Yeah. And making his face just do such weird things. He has such a weirdly flexible face. He really does. Like, his facial expressions are human yeah and i think that's why people have so much fun putting his face on t-shirts and pillows and stuff <laughs> god so i think just like how the very first what makes this movie special we did was leprechaun and the long and short of it was jennifer aniston and warwick davis fair enough so i think the long and short of this one is nick cage is what makes this movie special oh yeah the, the, like, the shitty writing and the terrible directing and plot... not I don't want to say plot threads being dropped. Elements being picked up and dropped just at random. Like, those all also make it incredibly special, but Nick Cage is what really, like... He's the glue. That, that holds it all together. Holds it all together and makes it something great. Yes. Like, <laughs> it, it holds a place in bad movie history to the point where I think that, like... More people know about the remake than they do about the original, despite the fact that the original is, like you said, the Citizen Kane of horror movie. Yeah. But you, like, ask anybody our age about the Wicker Man, their brain automatically goes to Nick Cage. Yep. And bees. And bees, yes. the bees! Bees, my god. What is it with bad movies and bees? I don't know. My partner was telling me about there's a uh, like 1970s Michael Caine film that's also about bees, and it's like a it's a disaster movie where just a huge number of bees just fucking shit up. But it wouldn't be nearly as bad if people weren't like reacting so harshly to the bees. And so I kind of kind of like Birdemic. But with yeah, these, a little bit. Yeah. 
bee hmm. beedemic. It, it's called the swarm. I think I really want to check it out at some point. It looks magical. I'm gonna have to look into that too. Yes, because that sounds ridiculous. Yeah, because I'm just picturing birdemic with bees. Yeah, I, I I've watched a trailer for it over the weekend, and it's it's a tra- it looks like a treasure. I can only imagine. I'll have to pull up a trailer for you and show it to you later. Please do. (laughs) (sighs) On that note, we should probably wrap things up because I'm still kind of tired from my long weekend. I'm not going to lie. That's fair. I have work tomorrow. so (laughs) Yeah, you probably need to sleep. Shortly, yeah. Yeah. We got recording a little later than we had initially planned, so I definitely understand wanting to get some sleep. Yeah. All right, so we'll wrap this up. Uh, You can find us on... We're hosted on Anchor.fm. So you can find us at Anchor.fm slash FailFilms101. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, a multitude of podcasting platforms. They're all actually listed on our website, FailFilms101.com. That's also another place where you can find our episodes and our syllabus is FailFilms101.com. Let's see. Our Google Classroom, where I will post the Not the Bees and How Did This Get Burned? You will go to classroom.google.com and you'll type in the code ZWI513S. That's ZWI513S. You can also find us on Facebook at FailFilms101. You can find us on Twitter at FailFilms101. Honestly, if you search FailFilms101, we're probably like the only thing that comes up. Not gonna lie. (laughs) Oh, and before we go, what is the next unit that we will be starting next Thursday? The next unit is Blatant Ripoffs, and we're going to start that off with Max Magician and the Legend of the Rings, which is kind of a ripoff of Lord of the Rings, as well as, honestly, the whole fantasy genre. Oh boy, this movie is... I cannot wait to talk about this movie, and our friend John is going to be back, who you may remember from quite a few other episodes we've done. (laughs) (laughs) So we will see you, John and I will see y'all next Thursday. Dan, thank you for joining me two weeks in a row now. It's been a blast. Thank you for having me. And thank you for suggesting this movie because it was magical. Yes, I'm I'm glad I got to introduce you to the magic of Nick Cage in a bear suit. Yes. (laughs) It's something I think everyone should see at least once in their lifetime. Yes, very true. Does Nick Cage put on a bear suit in any other movies? Um, not that I'm aware of, but now I need to go look that up and see if it happens ever again. That's a great question, because I wouldn't be surprised if he does something similar in uh, National Treasure. I know that I'm going to want to talk about the Ghost Rider movies when I do my Nick Cage unit, so. I think, I I don't think he puts on a bear suit in the Ghost Rider movies, but. (laughs) And that is to its detriment, damn it. Yes, those movies would have been so much better if he had put on a bear suit and then his, like, fucking skull started glowing while he's in the bear suit. Could you just imagine that? Yes! Oh, it's so good! Oh, I'm I'm crying a little bit from the beauty of it. Right. All right. Thanks again, Dan, for joining us. I'm Professor J. Class dismissed.